Our scripture lesson tonight is from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, this can be found in your pew Bible on page 1008. I'd ask that you would open there and keep your Bibles open as we then expound the word. This is the word of the living God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The book of Hebrews was written to Christians who were struggling in their faith. They were tempted to turn back to their old way of living because of various trials which beset them. Please turn back a page to chapter 10, and beginning in verse 32, we'll see the context for this evening's passage. When they had first come to faith, these Christians endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. But then notice in verse 34 of chapter 10 that they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property because they knew they had a better possession and an abiding one. At first, they were able to persevere because they were looking to God's promises, but now that that was all becoming more difficult. They were tempted to turn back to their former lives before they believed. The letter to the Hebrews is an exhortation not to fall away from the faith. What is it that they need? The writer goes on in verse 35 to say, therefore do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Christians need endurance. Now turn back to chapter 12 of Hebrews and there we learn that God brings trials into our lives to discipline us. In verse seven of chapter 12 it says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. And the writer goes on to say in verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Has 2023 been a year of training for you personally? Have you seen the Lord working in your life to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness as you have endured trial? Or are you seeking peace in something else? Have you been tempted to walk away from the church? A recent study on the de-churching of America has shown that 16%, that is 40 million Americans, have left the church since the year 1990. But have they gone anywhere better? Tonight is New Year's Eve. 
Every year we see images of Times Square and other places around the world crowded with inebriated people who have dulled their senses in the present in order to forget the pains of the past and think unrealistically about the future. But the parties end and their headaches begin again. Hebrew shows us a much better way. It is realistic about the pains we have and will experience in this life. But there is a certain hope, not in education or economics or politics or even world peace, but in Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the verses we read this evening, the writer likens the Christian life to a race run in the presence of a great throng, all the while looking to Jesus as our champion. To finish the race, we need endurance. As we complete the lap of 2023 and begin facing the unknown terrain of the race in 2024, how are we to endure? The text suggests three ways. First, we need to heed the cloud. Second, we ought to shed some weight. Third, we must look to Jesus. First, we need to heed the cloud. Have you ever been surrounded? I went on a mission trip to London years ago and our team went to Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park. Speaker's Corner is an area where free speech, open air, public speaking, debate, and discussion are allowed. We engaged a group of Muslims on the topic of Jesus and almost instantly, my friend and I were completely surrounded by a somewhat antagonistic crowd which was physically pressing in on us from all sides. As I look back on the experience, I can't help but think of that famous Bugs Bunny line, yeah, have you ever had the feeling like you was being watched? Verse 1 of Hebrews 12 gives us that impression. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the image is of a stadium of Olympic size filled to the brim with people watching and speaking to us. The reference to a cloud indicates the sheer density of people even as a swarm of locusts appears like a moving cloud on the horizon. Well, who are these witnesses and why are they important? In order to encourage these struggling Christians, the author in chapter 11 has given a survey of Old Testament believers who faced trials yet persevered because of their faith. He states his purpose in the final verse of chapter 10. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now to hear the encouragement, we must first heed the warning not to shrink back. Turning from faith in Jesus Christ amounts to destruction. Hebrews contains some of the strongest warnings in the whole Bible against rejecting the faith. For example, chapter two, verses two to three says, 
For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, that is referring to the law of Moses, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Or in chapter 10, 28 and following, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? If you are here this evening and you do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, May these verses serve as a solemn warning to you. Without Christ, you have no hope of reconciliation with the judge of the universe. Christ alone is the way to God. Believe in him and trust in him today for salvation. And struggling Christian, these verses are a reminder to remain steadfast in the faith God has given you. Then chapter 11 begins with a definition of faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. First, notice that faith is assurance. David McWilliams in his commentary says, assurance is related to the concepts of substance, property, and effects, that is, to property that belonged to or was inherited by an owner. On this basis, some have translated this verse, faith is the title deed of things hoped for. Imagine wanting a car and on Christmas morning opening an envelope which had the title deed of a new BMW with your name on it. After trying to wake yourself up from your dream, you would find you had the assurance that the car belonged to you, even though you had never seen it or driven it. Faith assures us that all that God has promised is a certainty. Second, notice that faith is the conviction of things not seen. We walk by faith, not by sight. Chapter 11 is filled with examples about how the saints of old lived according to the promises of God, not by what they could see. Verse 7 describes this very thing. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Faith trusts even when our eyes are filled with distressing surroundings. Third, Notice in verse 39 of chapter 11 that all the promises of God to these Old Testament saints point ultimately to the Lord Jesus. Verse 39 says, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. What is that something better? Well, throughout the book of Hebrews, Jesus is referred to as the one who is better, who is superior. In chapter one, Jesus brings a better word than the prophets and is superior to angels. In chapters three and four, Jesus is better than Moses and Joshua and provides a greater rest 
than the promised land. In chapters five through 10, Jesus is portrayed as the great high priest, better than Aaron or Melchizedek. Christ is the better sacrifice which truly atones for sin. Christ ushers in the new and better covenant. What does the new covenant provide? Look at the very end of chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The lesson of Hebrews 11 is not to be like Noah or Moses or any of the others listed there, but as David McWilliams has said, The reason all of those names are there is to ground us in the certainty of faith and to direct our attention to the promise that has sustained God's covenant people throughout the centuries. The great cloud of witnesses surrounding us are those who have run the same race of faith before us, trusting in God's promises as fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. They shout out to us who are still in the race, Look to your champion, Jesus. I'm reminded of the great hymn by John Newton, Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder. The last verse sings, Let us praise and join the chorus of the saints enthroned on high. Here they trusted in him before us. Now their praises fill the sky. You have washed us with your blood. You are worthy Lamb of God. So first, we need to heed the cloud. Second, we ought to shed some weight. Verse one tells us to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The runner removes every encumbrance in order to gain as much speed as possible. If you've attended a large race like the Philly Marathon or the Broad Street Run, it's always amazing to see the piles of stuff left near the starting line. (laughs) The writer refers to both weight and sin. Weight refers to things in our lives which are not sinful, but nevertheless can keep us from making progress in our spiritual lives. The cares of this world Good things, which we must do to make life happen, can sometimes get in the way. Remember Martha, when Jesus came to visit her and her sister Mary? Mary sat at Jesus' feet, listening to his teaching, while Martha was distracted with much serving. When Martha complained to Jesus that, that he have Mary help her, uh, Jesus answered her, answered her, Martha, Martha, You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. What things could be keeping us from advancing in our spiritual lives? Well, the writer also speaks about laying aside the sin which clings so closely. The Greek words indicate that which entangles us and trips us up. Now it is our disposition towards sin which entangles us. While it is true that in Christ we are set free from the dominion of sin, it is also true we are not yet freed from the presence of sin in our lives. Paul speaks vividly about this in Romans 7, 
verses 21 to 23. Paul says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. He is saying sin often catches us because it remains in us. Hebrews tells us when sin arises to the surface, we're to lay it aside. Paul uses the language of putting away. In Colossians 3.8, he says, but now you must put them all away, anger, malice, slander, and so on. At the same time, Paul reminds us in Romans 13 that we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to make no provision for the flesh. So we are to heed the cloud, we are to shed some weight, and finally, to have endurance, we must look to Jesus. The Greek lexicon says this means to direct one's attention without distraction, to fix one's eyes trustingly. The scriptures have much to say about our eyes. The eyes feed our desire, which informs our wills, which directs our actions. Think of Eve in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Commentator Philip Hughes says, Hebrews tells us to keep our gaze firmly fixed on him who is both the goal and the prize. Jesus is called in this passage the founder and the perfecter of our faith. The word founder could be translated leader or pioneer. The same word is used in Hebrews 2.10 to describe Jesus as the founder of salvation. The idea is someone who establishes an institution or an originator. Jesus has done what no one else has done. According to chapter two, verses 14 to 15, Jesus came so that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus came to fulfill the great promise of Genesis 3.15. He is the last Adam that came to crush the serpent's head and undo the curse of death. As Hughes says, it is on him that in every age the gaze of faith is focused. He alone evokes and stimulates faith. And it is because he is the pioneer of our salvation that he is the author of our faith. And faith, moreover, is initiated and sustained by him 
because Jesus has prayed the Father that we may come to faith and that our faith may not fail. Thus we look to him as the apostle and high priest of our confession. This Jesus is the one who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Something was set before him. Even as we have a race set before us, so Christ had joy beyond the cross set before him. What joy could that be, beloved of God? It was the joy of glorifying his father by going to the cross. John 12, 27 and following, Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus was born to save his people from their sins. He was born to die for us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. The hymn we will sing after the sermon says this. He became the lamb that taketh sin away and for a full atonement maketh. For our life his own he tenders and our race by his grace meet for glory renders. It was his joy to redeem us and and reconcile us to God and also to welcome believers into the kingdom of God. Remember the parable of the sheep and the goats. The son of man turns to the sheep and he says, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Christ's joy is the joy of heaven over every sinner who repents and returns to the father's home over every son and daughter that was dead and is alive again. For this joy ahead of him, Christ endured the cross. Again, Philip Hughes says, the incarnate son is the man of faith par excellence. He is the perfect model of faith which endured. Hebrews 5, seven to nine says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He is said to have been made perfect because he fulfilled everything God intended for him. Now if Christ himself learned obedience through his suffering, how much more should we sinners expect that God will use our trials to conform us to the image of our beloved Savior? But note that in his perfections, Jesus also relates so compassionately with all of our weakness and frailty. Hebrews 4.15 says, Jesus is the one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He is able to help those who are being tempted. As the prophet Isaiah said, he is the wonderful 
counselor. We then can with confidence draw nigh through the merits of our great high priest to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christ endured the pain, but he also endured the shame of the cross. It is one thing to go through excruciating pain, but the Bible makes it clear that the shame of being the sin bearer which was much more significant. After all, Christ bearing our sins is the main point. Isaiah said, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you need strength to endure through your sin? Look to Jesus who bore your sins once and for all on the cross and carries them away as far as the east is from the west. They no longer separate you from your heavenly father who has reconciled you to himself by the blood of his son. And when our accuser would have us relive the guilt and the shame of our sins once confessed to Christ, we can sing with Charity Leaves Bancroft, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Could anything therefore ever separate us from his love in Christ Jesus? Finally, our text says Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. The one who was most high became the most low so that he might then become again the most high. Christ humbled himself even unto death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Do you ever wonder whether you can finish the race. The Bible teaches that if you are united by faith to Christ in his death and resurrection, then you finish the race in him. He is your champion, your Lord and master, your savior and your king. He ever lives to make intercession for you, to make sure you endure in this life. Your reconciliation to God was the joy set before Christ and now he is the joy set before you. Dear Christian believer, if you are struggling tonight and need strength to endure the race before you, fix your eyes on Jesus and say with the hymn writer, Jesus lives and reigns supreme and his kingdom still remaining, I shall also be with him, ever living 
ever reigning. God has promised, be it must, Jesus is my hope and trust. Let's pray. Jesus, our only joy be thou, as thou our prize will be. Jesus, be thou our glory now and through eternity. Amen.